Switzerland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Welcome, guys, to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. We're here to talk about Manchester City 5, West Ham 0. And uh, with us to discuss the game, we have our normal two guests. First of all, Colin Savage, the City Matters Committee man and also the King of the Kipax writer. How are you doing, Colin? Oh, good. I've got another string to my bow, actually, uh, this week. I um, I did a three-hour internet radio preview of the Premier League. I uh, spoke to fans of um, all of the clubs, including Howard Hocking, of course, of uh, Manchester City fame. So that was quite an interesting experience. How can people hear it? What's it called? Uh, Feast of Football. So um, I think you can listen live on a Thursday evening through the website, which is feastoffootball.net. And Mark splits the broadcast up into smaller chunks, on, again, on the website. So, But it was very interesting to get an insight from actually from fans of other clubs as to their prospect and of course you know when you kind of take it everything into account at the end of the evening uh, no club is getting relegated of course everyone's finishing <laughs> in the top half and we're also going to welcome man city fan chat ray ray how are you doing I'm very well, Mike. Very well. Uh, 5-0 win on the opening day of the season away from home is only going to boost my uh, morale and my positive uh, feeling for the weekend. Uh, it's been a busy weekend, obviously, with uh, filming um, on Friday before the game at West Ham Stadium, at London Stadium, uh, with West Ham Fan TV. And then Saturday, obviously, the game, uh, more filming before and after. A uh, very, very busy day, uh, a busy weekend, to be quite honest, but uh, well worth it. Well, guys, moving in. Into this game, let's uh, just go through the lineup as we usually do. Uh, we had Ederson, Walker, Stones, Laporte, Zinchenko, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Rodri, uh, Silva, Mares, Gabriel Jesus, and uh, Sterling on the bench. Bravo, Gundogan, Aguero, Bernardo Silva. Interestingly, we'll talk about that. Um, our new boy Cancelo, uh, Odomendi, and Foden on the other side. West Ham, Fabianski, Fredericks, Balbuena, Issa Diop, Cresswell, Wilshire, Rice, Philippe. Anderson, Lanzini, Antonio and Haller. Their subs, of course, Zabaleta, Hernandez, Snodgrass, Jimenez, Sanchez, Fornals, the new man that everyone's quite excited about over there at West Ham, and Ogbonna. Interesting. Colin Savage. They were talking before the game about the, the potency or the potential potency of that uh, West Ham front line. Turns out they're not quite as uh, potent as we all <laughs> thought. What did you think? Well, yeah, on paper, it look, they look a very good team, don't they? Um, particularly, you know, the further forward you get. I looked at that team, the line up, and um, you think, you know, that's a team that's capable of pushing for a top eight place. But of course, they're playing City, and I don't think anyone would really want to play um, yeah, we we make good teams look very ordinary, don't we? But but I, th- I think think on paper that team that squad looks pretty good actually. Now it was interesting because I, I was doing this radio show and we were talking to a couple of West Ham fans, and one was particularly scathing about the team and the owners and the manager uh, Manuel Pellegrini. He wasn't a happy bunny at all, and it was interesting because they they finished in the top half last season. And considering they were a bit of a yo-yo club a few seasons ago, for me as an outsider looking at West Ham, I'd say. Oh, well, oh, all right. There's the owners, and I know fans think the owners are, you know, a pair of weirdos. But um, on the whole, if I was a West Ham fan, I'd be reasonably happy with where we were. But the West Ham fans didn't seem to be that happy. I just uh, wondered whether Ray had encountered the same feedback from I didn't. his interviews. I, I, honestly, I didn't. The, the chap I spoke to was uh, Dan Lawless, and uh, I had a few chats with him on Friday and Saturday. Um, we did a couple of interviews each day for each of our channels, and he said to me he was happy finishing around 10th, 9th, 8th. He yeah. wants slow progress, he, you know, and uh, uh, slow and steady progress. And he said things will change. He feels the owners will sell up within a couple of years. Apparently, they when they moved to this uh, London stadium, they couldn't sell five years or they'd have to give a big chunk of money back. And I don't think they want to give any money back. So they, they're expecting them to sell sell up by the stadium and sell up. They like Manuel Pellegrini. He, they believe, attract better quality players because of his status his stature he's a Premier League winner uh, he's well known um, and he can bring people in that 
let's say, uh, managers like Sam Allardyce and David, David Moyes can't. Um, so they're very overall very happy with the progress, um, with the players they've brought in. They look on paper once again um, that, like they've got potential. It's, it's quite funny if you um, heard the comments or read the comments by the new signing Haller. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> well, you could. I'll let you say it when we'll, I'll, let, I'll give you that back to you. But uh, no, but I, no, go ahead, Ray. But he did express his views in quite colourful language, didn't he? Well, that's why I wasn't going to say it, you know. But he said basically, what shit is this? You know, you spent all this money on on me, and the first game of the season is, is we're playing Manchester City. You know, I'll have to get my confidence uh, somewhere else. Maybe I'd be lucky enough to get a touch. Uh, basically, Haller hasn't really. Um, he's not really on message. I think uh, probably the, <laughs> the, the the PR guys will be in his ear about that. Well, that's no quite doubt. funny because speaking to Dan, Dan was quite happy. He said, "Look, he's being honest. Yes, the PR guys haven't got to him yet, but they want some. You want some honesty. Everything's basically agenda-driven, and it's, it's got to fit the whatever the club say and this positive attitude and everything else. But sometimes you just want it honest and real. And the guy was being mm-hmm. honest. Um, but as I said, most West Ham fans, especially once we'd won, I listened to some of the, inter- uh, the interviews afterwards uh, from various fans. And most of them obviously disappointed with the result from their team's point of view." Half of them were happy enough with the first half performance. Uh, one or two were really scathing, but I think you get that in any fan base. Even you get some City fans who are, for whatever reason, scathing of, 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 of something to do with City. Um, so you know, you're always going to get that. But generally, I find most people, even though they got stuff, uh, were reasonably satisfied from the first half performance. They expected to get beat, and they expected to get beat, beaten badly by City, and so they kind of just took it on the chin. We, we do have an exceptional record down at that stadium. <laughs> Don't we? It's, Four it's, game, twenty-two goals. It's unbelievable. But we were expecting maybe a little bit more from them, guys, because remember that uh, defense is well screened by Declan Rice, and uh, they have got a couple of good defenders in there. We saw Fred Ricks against us uh, pre-season. Well, certainly going forward anyway, and of course they've got uh, Issa Diop, who's an ever-improving uh, central defender. But uh, Colin, I think as regards the Manchester City lineup, I guess the talking, the only talking point really was that uh, Mares had been brought in instead of Bernardo Silva. Slight eyebrow razor there uh, Colin don't you feel uh, well potentially yeah I suppose it was turned, um, out, turned out all right though well it did I mean Mara's really had a very good summer into the uh, AFCON Pep thought that um, he'd carry that confidence forward into uh, into the league and uh, he, he had he, well he was involved in all five goals either uh, assists or winning the penalty or, or being involved in the build up so um, I, I think you'd say that was a fairly well justified decision personally I, I just thought Bernardo's birthday we had this issue a few years ago with Yaya Turi complaining about his birthday cake and I just thought maybe they've given Bernardo a big birthday cake the day before and he's eating too much and he just can't play so they weren't taking any chances well um, we actually saw the video of um, Bernardo being <laughs> being presented with a birthday cake on the flight and uh, yeah I think that uh, he used a bit of colourful language himself there Bernardo whenever he whenever he was uh, entreated for some kind of speech but um, yeah I, I don't think City will ever omit to celebrate anyone's birthday again. I think uh, Yaya Toure uh, saw fit to that. But guys, we also had uh, Jack Wilshire starting his first game in 11 months. Interesting choice in their uh, lineup. But uh, that's how the teams approached the first half. Manuel Pellegrini was quite confident uh, before the game. And I quote him, he says, it's a new season. All the teams are stronger. I'm confident we have got a good squad. I hope we're more consistent. A lot of new signings and players who couldn't play for us last season because of injury. And he said, I hope with Sebastian Haller's quality and with our technical midfield, he will be a successful player here. And so the game began. We were off. And how do you feel that first half began to develop? And how did uh, City cut it during those uh, opening minutes, Colin, for you? Uh, Well, for me, it was a a half of two halves, really, um, if I can say that. The the first quarter of the game, just before we scored, it was a typical beginning of season game. Uh, Players perhaps not quite got their heads in the right place not quite got the rhythm of the of a full proper competitive game and it's a, a lunchtime kickoff which always seems to cause problems i thought that first 20 minutes up to where we scored we looked we were a bit stuttering some of the passing wasn't up to our usual standard there were a number of errors carl walker made a couple of errors rodri got caught on the ball a couple of times uh, really mares was the only one who seemed to be making any significant contribution even david silver and kevin de bruyne weren't really involved in the game so so that first 20 minutes or so was all about getting our our heads right and our attitude right 
after that, I thought that the, from from when we scored the goal, we looked very much in control in that the rest of that first half. Yeah, I mean, it was about 15 minutes before there was anything that resembled a chance, as far as I remember. I, on the 15-minute mark, I think it was Mares flew down the right past to Silva, who put a pretty fierce shot just a few inches wide of the right-hand post. But uh, you're right, Colin, they were a little bit lax, I guess, in, uh, in well, the I mean, opening yeah, minutes. Just, just looking at my own note, there was about on the 17th minute, we had a, we got a free kick outside the area and David Silva made a come. don't know what, what he thought he was doing, but he played the ball straight to Fabianski. And obviously it was a training ground move of some sort, but no one else was on message for that free kick. And that kind of summed up our opening quarter of the game, I think. What made it change? Did you sense a shift, Ray, as Colin alluded to, with it being a half of two halves? I mean, my own thoughts, we were sloppy. We've done that quite a few times because we've got high standards and we we don't expect to see misplaced passes anymore. I mean, it's, it's a rarity for City and there was there were quite a few. But one thing I think that we were very good at, and I've got to highlight this, passing the ball around the back with the keeper, the defenders and uh, Rodri. And West Ham tried presses, but there were no match uh, for us. Um, we were always beating press and it was so impressive. And that, that kind of helps you to build your foundations because you can then start to, to go forward um, having left maybe four of their uh, their players in, in in our half, I don't know exactly. I can't put my finger on what changed. It's just maybe we started to click. Uh, we got the goal, and obviously that gave us more confidence. And then West Ham started to I wouldn't say they started to retreat a bit because at the start of the game, I felt they were they were at us. They were chasing hard, putting pressure on on us, and we were coping generally generally well with that. Apart from these uh, sloppy errors, but after the goal, they kind of retreated, and it felt like it was getting back to last season where we've got the ball we're controlling it we're passing it around and just looking for the next opportunity from West Ham's point of view I I did like some of the uh, hold up play from Antonio and Haller I thought they were good to to hold the uh, the ball up and bring other players in but when they got to the final third they were pretty poor West Ham and I think that's that's got to be of a uh, concern to them Uh, you know why they were lacking when they got near our box and they just they were quite creative up to that point and then they just ran out of ideas well Colin let's talk about the A4 mentioned goal and uh, here we saw something that would be prominent during the game it seems that the arrival of Cancelo has had an effect on Mr Walker because when when slipped in by Maris my goodness he he, he really put the afterburners on he he's got uh, he got his pace back hasn't he yeah I think I've said before Walker even in pre-season looked a lot sharper than he had done but of course what, what we know about Cal Walker is he's prone to lapses of concentration but he does look much more focused and, and aware of what's going on and um, the, the goal was really a, a classic example of that and um, it started from actually started from Ederson who played the ball out to Zinchenko who was uh, out on the left on the touchline and they've been playing these close balls around for a while but um, th- this was a bit of a longer one. Zinchenko came inside and uh, he fed Mares, who was on the right touchline. Carl Walker overlapped him. Mares played the ball and this put on this burst of speed where he left um, Aaron Cresswell for dead and, and Cresswell was a fullback I think we were linked with a little while back but uh, I think that was a top team career ending moment for him when Walker just went past him pulled back an excellent ball and it looked at first as though um, Diop had put it into his own net but uh, when you looked at it from behind the net in a slower motion he'd got a foot to it deflected it slightly but Gabriel Jesus had got a great piece of uh, in a great piece of anticipation and reaction had got his foot to it and steered it home so that was uh, a great start and uh, it was quite simple really and, and I think we were finding space down that side quite consistently West Ham seemed to be quite narrow but it was a great burst of speed by Walker and he pulled the ball back beautifully Two minutes later another surge of speed from Walker down the right nothing came of this and two minutes after that then it was Morris's turn to scream down the right and Cresswell is having a terrible time he's been hung out to dry there Yeah, Ray after the goal City looked a lot more interested oh, Yeah, I think it- as I said a combination of West Ham retreating a little bit and giving us a little bit more time on the ball Maras was uh, coming inside he had one uh, moment where he left was it Cresswell on the floor and another defender mm-hmm. struggling and scrambling and uh, I think he hit it into the side netting at the near post when you know, we were expecting him to hit it into the far corner and uh, I think he was more than a little disappointed that he didn't uh, at least hit the target but he had another good shot Fabianski pushed away so this was all in the first half and you know he was having one of his better halves uh, in a city shirt that I can remember and obviously 
second half was even better. But we were, you know, we weren't turning the screw so much. I mean, it was still, I still felt it was... It, it was still second or third gear, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, By it, our it, standards. Yeah, we were still, you know, making like that David Silva free kick and we're still knocking balls way too uh, heavy. Uh, you know, but it, look, it's the first game of the season. It, sometimes it does take a, a little bit of time to get things um, up to speed. And sometimes it takes a rocket from your manager at half time to show his displeasure with your performance. Because, look, West Ham weren't really doing too much, but neither were we. And, you know, we, as Colin has alluded to, we had more gears uh, to go through and we needed to go through a couple more gears to get this game to bed. Kevin De Bruyne started to come into it a little bit more in the, in the 20 minutes uh, after the goal. But uh, someone who is definitely on message is uh, Rodri, guys, because he, I, I just noticed a couple of times, um, uh, just an, one example was in the 40th minute, he, he uh, avoided a yellow card when pulling at Rice's shirt. So Rodri has been taking a few lessons in tactical fouling from uh, Mr. Fernandinho. And where do you stand on the whole issue of tactical fouling? Well, it's a bit of a, you know, it's it's like sports washing, isn't it? It's a stick to beat City with. I mean, who, you know, how many teams face with um, their opposition coming towards them and, and the court out a bit? How many teams don't indulge in so-called tactical fouling? Every team does it. You know, every foul is tactical in some way, isn't it? You know, you see a player who's uh, an opposition player going to win the ball and maybe doesn't control it. And you and you go in, uh, players go in and make a tackle. How many times in, in a game, and not involving City, do you see players pull another player back who's got past them or, you know, put the foot out and trip them or grab hold of the shirt or something like that? But it seems to be a label that's just applied to City. It's something apparently only we do. And we, we did it under Pellegrini, didn't we? Maybe we maybe we didn't do it as a they call it tactical fouling, but possibly we do it strategically. But which team doesn't? A lovely little line here from from the Guardian uh, guys in their match report uh, talking about how just a minute after that, uh, Rodri clattered into the back of Wilshire, and they report he's really testing the crowd's patience now, Rodri. But the referee still isn't minded to act, and, and um, the comments from various people on that particular newspaper website where that you know he's he's learned well from Fernandinho because. There's a particular art to it, and you commit a foul and and, and you stop an attack in its infancy, and then you um, you put a big smile on your face and you help the player up, and the referees um, tend not to tend not to pick the card out. But <laughs> the thing the thing is, uh, Mike, you get the the day afterwards, you get reports, you get so-called journalists, blue tick people on um, on Twitter. And you get these reports and, and other fans pick up on it and uh, they try to bash City. But when you've got to sometimes delve just a little bit deeper. So there was one quote that uh, apparently Pellegrini said, which was just made up, which was not true. Because I, I watched his press conference and Sam Lees uh, said the same thing. He said uh, Pellegrini didn't say that, uh, some particular thing. Uh, and Pellegrini was basically saying that every time that they were uh, att- started an attack, we would break it down. But as Colin said, everybody does that. You know, it's not just City. There was, a, I mean, and Pellegrini in one uh, publication, was it the Guardian they, they put a quote there and then other people ran with the Guardian story and Pellegrini said City committed 13 fouls and West Ham committed 5 I looked at the Premier League's um, stats from the Premier League's website and they say City committed 8 fouls and West Ham committed 5 so people are quoting the Pellegrini as uh, verbatim and saying that's truth well Premier League stats are different so you've got to be careful about your sources I went back to uh, look at the stats because I have nothing better, better to do with my time last night and this morning now last season we played West Ham twice uh, of course in the league they committed six fouls in each game so they committed 12 fouls over two games we committed five no one's shouting about West Ham uh, committing that many uh, fouls in a game and we've only committed that was two over over two games so people ignore this and then the, the Liverpool Echo they've been at it all week uh, with their you know bringing up stories of when Leroy got hurt say this is good news for Liverpool and they got you know bad form for, for this in the past they brought this up this tactical fouls as well was it Tony Evans I, I think I think it was Tony Evans yeah. I just made I made a comment saying look last season season, according to the Premier League stats, Liverpool committed 185 fouls across 38 games. City committed 193. There's hardly any difference. It makes no difference. Everybody's at it. And you, and you can twist stats in any way you want. And people are just making up stuff now. And it is getting tiresome where uh, even journalists are just making up numbers to satisfy whatever agenda and argument they've got. Yes, I fear Mr Pellegrini has given uh, Duncan Castles his next uh, transfer window pod. I know that's his favourite topic of his. He 
really is an annoying little agent provocateur these days. Uh, well, it's never really been any different, but he's... Sorry, is that a posh word for shit, Dara? Uh, possibly so, possibly so. But guys, I only really remember one other chance that that I can talk about, and that was on the stroke of half-time. Actually, it was uh, Diop that missed a, missed a clearance on the edge of the West Ham box, and it went to Gabby Jesus, and um, he just basically hit it straight at the keeper. Um, but apart from that, guys, don't remember too many other moments of great drama as we went into half-time. No, there, there was that incident where the ball was crossed and, and David Silver, well, in, in fact, David Silver and um, Raheem Sterling were both offside, but Silver overstretched for it when he should have left it, and you, you saw him point to his ear saying, I didn't hear you, or you should have called. But they were both offside anyway, so it didn't really matter. That's right, and uh, of course, in the second half, uh, the, the person we mentioned at the top of the pod, Fornals, who West Ham are quite excited about, came on for Antonio, but uh, City began to impose themselves on the game anew, basically, and uh, it only took, what was it, six minutes, I think? Yeah, six minutes for the second goal by Raheem Sterling, Ray. Tell us about that one. I was a bit, dis- I've got to say, I was a bit disappointed with West Ham. They didn't really press us to start the second half. And I, I look back to the community shield, start the second half, Liverpool were really on, on us and they didn't let us settle. And West Ham just went back into that mode where they were let, letting us play around with the ball. You just felt that they, they weren't, they weren't in the right, whether it's frame of mind or Pellegrini hadn't really given them the rocket, so to speak, because they just let us pass it around uh, and that goal if I remember correctly it came from a, a Maris pass to Kevin De Bruyne who burst past his man uh, nice turn of speed and then basically put himself between the man and the ball and so there's no way that uh, midfielder was going to get uh, Kevin De Bruyne without doing a tactical foul and getting a booking and then he just laid it into uh, Sterling's path on the left and Sterling took a couple of touches and I think it was his left foot he slipped it under Fabianski very cool very nice uh, nicely taken goal and it kind of puts to bed some of the demons not the demons, but the ghosts of that game against Liverpool when he should have done better when he was clean through because that was a nice composed finish. It's more what we've, uh, be, what we've become used to uh, uh, with Raheem Sterling and he, he is, I think he's got a very good percentage of um, goals, you know, to, to opportunities. So he's putting a good few uh, opportunities away now and that was a nicely taken goal. Yeah, lovely little piece of skill from uh, Mares to wriggle free from a pretty tight spot to, to pop that pass for De Bruyne and uh, Ray mentioned what happened next but uh, Colin I think it was two minutes later pretty much two minutes later that caused uh, the biggest uh, talking point of the game we thought it was three Gabby Jesus uh, because uh, West Ham were split open uh, down the left Sterling released by Zinchenko I think it was bit of exchange of passes with David Silva Sterling free in the area Uh, Gabby J in the centre rolls across the face and uh, Gabby Jesus uh, slots home but my goodness guys City's celebrations uh, didn't last uh, long because up up came the VAR message on the big screen no goal Colin no goal now let's talk about this I mean the images that people were furnished with uh, in the aftermath of that goal my goodness you'd need an ele- electron microscope to decide that that uh, Raheem was uh, offside Colin I thought this offside rule fundamentally is to prevent an attacker from having an advantage well if if an armpit is an advantage uh, the game's the, the game <laughs> Game's gone, Colin. The, the game's, game's gone. gone. Yeah, oh, this is my this is my soapbox. So you're asking the right person here. Yeah, that that one particularly was interesting. It was probably our best work goal, actually, uh, except it wasn't a goal. But yeah, offside is supposed to deny the attack of an advantage. The margins on that one were so tight. The, the majority of Raheem Sterling's body w- was behind the defender, but there was that little dotted line that went up to his armpit or whatever, which was about a millimeter ahead of the back foot of the defender or whatever they were measuring again. But the interesting thing in, in that move was not Sterling particularly, we'll, perhaps we'll talk about that in a second, but the chance came when David Silva received the ball from Zinchenko and did that little flick to Sterling. And when he did that flick, Debbie Jesus was about two yards offside, or in an offside position by about two yards. When the ball was crossed to him, because he was behind the ball, he was therefore not offside. Now to me, Gabby Jesus was gaining an advantage when that move started, because he was well ahead of the defence. So that gave him an inbuilt advantage. You know, a couple of seconds later, when Sterling crossed that ball, he was in a great position because he gained an advantage. And it seemed to me like, and I've said this before, I'm sure, the offside law has been turned on its head from the attacker gaining an advantage. Gabby Jesus was, but Raheem Sterling wasn't to this nonsense notion that, you know, a hair in your armpit could be offside. You are, in quotes, gaining an advantage. So the irony is, because of the introduction of VAR, 
I think that um, the authorities are going to have to look at the offside law again. And I think there's, there's two ways you could do it, from, from what I could see. There may be others, but maybe I would suggest. But the most obvious one, the, the least subjective one, is that the attacker has to be fully ahead of the last defender before before it's called offside. You can determine that by the technology. So if that little red line, if that red line is showing the back of the attacker and the blue line is showing the front of the defender, if that red line is ahead of the blue line, then it's offside. There has to be some daylight. Well, well it's basically the daylight option, yeah. The other one that occurred to me was, when you look at cricket, I don't quite understand it, but the umpires call in uh, LBW decisions. So where, where they refer a decision to the decision review system, DRS, if the ball was going to hit the wicket, and it depends on the on-field decision. So, so basically, they'll give some leeway to the umpire in terms of the on-field decision when they're using the technology and my view would be that the VIR official should be looking at that replay and saying should a competent official have seen an offside there and if so that's subjective of course but if so then it's fine to overturn the on-field decision assuming the on-field decision wasn't offside or it's it's fine to overturn it if it was offside if it was flagged as offside if that makes sense but if you look at it and think well a, a competent official couldn't possibly determine that whether that was offside or not then it, the goal should have stood it's an extraordinary image uh, guys isn't it i'm looking at it now and you've got the blue and the red line stretched across the pitch and then you've got dotted lines from the the ground up to the basically the the shoulder of the West Ham man and uh, the shoulder I guess of or or armpit of Raheem Sterling these are dotted lines and my goodness it it, it really does seem to be going against the spirit of the game if Sterling is a judge to be offside in that position Uh, and and Gabriel Jesus isn't and not asking for the goal to be choked off but Gabriel Jesus was gaining an advantage by a in an offside position when David Silver played the ball to Raheem Sterling. I've got and that to, to me, that to me is uh, making a mockery of the law. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, you're right. I can't really say at anything. He was well offside. You know, obviously, if he was, if he was, uh, if he'd been onside, then he wouldn't have been in, uh, in that position to tap it in. There'd have been other players uh, who would have had a, a, an equal opportunity to get back and block it. So he's getting, gaining a huge advantage by being in the position he's in. Sure, I mean, and one, one of the things that people talk about is um, VAR supposed to be for clear and obvious errors, but offside, of course, is completely in theory. It's completely objective. It's binary. Yeah, but you, not, you either are, are or not. But that's what me, I thought. To me, which kind of brings me back to the point of what would a competent official see? So if you think back a few seasons to when we played Spurs and Kyle Walker was two yards offside and the assistant was stood in line, you'd say that's a clear and obvious error. Uh, and because it wasn't flagged, VAR should have flagged that as a as an offside. But you look at the Sterling one, you think that's not clear and obvious. So you should have let the on-field call stand. But, but the thing is, they, they, they've argued, apparently, VAR, that it, it doesn't have to be clear and obvious for the offside. Because the offside is offside or not. It's black or white. It's not subjective, but it is. This is a sad thing now. I, I, find, I found out yesterday or this morning. If you watch uh, Andy Gray and his analysis of offside, now what he says is... that. Uh, apparently 25 frames per second that they have uh, and it just depends on what frame the VAR official stops yeah. uh, uh, stops it so he said look it's touching uh, the, 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 the ball is touching the player's foot before he plays it to, to, to Sterling and at what point does it not touch his foot and he said you could have had any one of four frames and you would have said okay no one would have argued uh, but the first three he was onside the last one where it wasn't it was clearly not touching his foot he was offside the goal the next goal that we scored to me in the crowd that looked offside but where the, yeah. where did he stop the frame he stopped it earlier he stopped it while the ball was still um, touching his foot and that, the analogy I'll give going back to cricket uh, when it's a run out or a stumping they do go back frame by frame and they stop it on the frame that the bales are dislodged. They're away from uh, the stumps, or one bale is away from the stump, where you can clearly see the daylight. That's the frame that they use for their analysis. And for the VAR on offside, you've got to have the same consistency. Is it the frame where the guys in the action are passing, or is it the frame, and it's all in a fraction of a second, you remember, 25 frames per second. Is it the frame where there is daylight between the ball and the boot, so you can see it's actually left his foot, and 
and that's where you stop it. You can't have it stopped at different points on the frame. It's, it's very petty now, but it, it makes a difference. And, and I actually think the, the you know you could argue the one that was disallowed looked more on side than the one that was allowed. Well, well, that one that was allowed, the, the, the third goal, it was a classic training film move. Because I've been, uh, I, I've said this before, in the 2011-12 season, just about March, April time, Mike Riley came up to the Etihad and a few of us were invited to meet him and uh, uh, have a Q&A with him. And he showed a training film that they show to referees. And, and it's a typical one of the attackers running forward, with the defensive pushing up. Uh, the ball's played over the top from a way back and you have to decide, you've got one chance to decide whether it was offside or not. And most of us got it wrong. So I, I came out of that with a great admiration for any assistant who gets any decision right, because it's a very difficult thing to do, because you've got three things going on at once. You've got to watch when the ball is played. You've got to then understand where the, all the play, different players are when the ball is played. And generally, they're not standing still. So I came out of that with actually great admiration for the assistants, because the vast majority of the time, they do get it right. But to me, as I said, it should come under the heading of clear and obvious. Okay, guys, well, we will uh, possibly return to this issue, but uh, moving on after that, a couple of changes from West Ham. Uh, Snodgrass, I think, came on, and then we had the incident where Felipe Anderson went down holding his uh, thigh. He came off and uh, was replaced by Chikorito, I think. Um, just uh, finishing off that uh, VAR thing, a lot of um, supporters of rival clubs <laughs> got on the call comments boards in support of the decision and said of course offside is offside but I think probably the best uh, comment that I read sums up the situation Uh, the particular commenter wrote the Sterling non-goal is exactly what I feared was going to happen technically correct but miles away from the spirit of the rules of the game he he said offside is to prevent cherry picking not whether a winger wears a size 11 boot as opposed to 11 and a half Um, so what What's going to happen, guys, is when that happens to their team, we're going to see um, a, a slightly different line of uh, discussion, I would imagine. City uh, got the third, the, the goal that the guys were referring to, and um, this was uh, Sterling again and again uh, prominent in the build-up was Mares. Can you tell us about this one, Ray? Briefly say that that VAR decision against City actually lifted the crowd, and it was the biggest cheer from the West Ham fans uh, the whole game. Uh, and it lifted the players and actually some fans who were on the way out because this was after like 53 minutes they thought they were 3-0 down they were on the way out of the stadium and we were already starting a few wags were thinking cheerio some choice language as well were on the way out and then they came back but that, that third goal was, was if I remember correctly was Mares lifting it over the defence and Sterling came from quite deep I think Sterling, was it even Sterling who passed the ball to him but Sterling came from quite deep unnoticed by, by the de- um, defenders really by the time they reacted he was already uh, standing on the penalty spot on the ball at his feet and he just saw Fabianski come out and he just uh, kind of lifted it um, over his shoulder uh, Fabianski had no chance it was a nice finish from Sterling I, I bet he himself thought he was offside I mean he, he took that with such calmness uh, he probably didn't think it mattered yeah Colin Mahrez, uh Sterling and Mares, their reaction to the goal was um, a little bit muted as if they uh, thought that there was going to be another uh, delay but uh, interesting comment um, from one person on Twitter uh, I don't know if you agree with this Colin but he, sa- he says that uh, it takes so long for VAR to make these decisions that there's an argument that there should be on-pitch entertainment while we wait uh, for it because, because we're just, you know, this is the, the, the next issue, I guess, uh, Colin. You can't really celebrate too quickly now the, these days, can you? Well, not if you think it's, you know, a, a little bit 50-50. But I thought actually taking kind of decisions the, the legitimacy of the decisions out. I thought VAR worked well on Saturday because we weren't we weren't waiting around for two minutes for decisions. It was all done. I thought quite efficiently. I thought the first one when, when it was disallowed took a long time. Now telling the, the guy next to me, the longer it's taken, the more I feel you know it's it's not going to be uh, uh, allowed. The thing for the fans' point of view, we have still very little idea what's going on. There was a think in the first half uh, they were looking at a red card for a potential elbow. Most fans never. Never saw it. It was not. It looked like an off-the-ball incident. So it just said VAR red card. So we had no idea. And in the stadium, it would have been useful to show the incident. So we, at least we know what we talk, what they're talking about. And and subsequent VARs will come to the penalty. We had no idea what what was happening and why. And then they might show for the Sterling one that was offside. They showed the still on the screen. But if it's taking a minute or ninety seconds, please give us an inkling of what's going on, rather than saying VAR penalty or VAR. Uh, 
you know, check or whatever and show the replay. At least let the fans see the replay in the stadium while VAR is making its decision. We're not asking for to follow the, the like we have in rugby or cricket, the VAR process. That's taken a, a few years to get established and you can actually hear and you can hear in NFL as well and, and other sports. You can actually hear the process going through. You can hear everything that the umpire or the referee is saying. Footballer will take time to get to that stage and I think it will get to that stage where we, we can see on screen and listen to the referee or the VR person talking through the decision. I just think that it could take five years. But right now, we should have something on the screen. Give us some entertainment. Give us a, a replay of the incident. So we have got an idea. We're just kicking our heels and chatting to the guy next to us. And some of the fans, it's true, they don't cheer as lively and they're more subdued. But to be honest, I cheer as if it's a goal because that's my natural reaction. That's a, If I think it's a goal, I'm going to cheer. Now, if VAR, then they have something subsequently go to VAR and then they ward the goal I'll cheer again so maybe I can get two lots of cheering in and I cheer more in a game that's got to be good guys on the 79th minute uh, Gundogan and Foden came on for uh, De Bruyne and Silva four minutes after that then we come to uh, what was mentioned by Ray the penalty on the 83rd minute it was uh, Maris again he's prominent in all these goals Maris he dropped a shoulder slipped into the area and uh, Issa Diop stuck out a leg and uh, after a little bit of thought referee points to the spot correctly apparently no need for VAR and uh, up steps Sergio Aguero Sergio Aguero doesn't really um, put a lot of confidence Colin into City fans with um, with his penalties as uh, Sterling wanted to take this in fact but Aguero got his way and a pretty awful penalty uh, the first one wasn't it it was a shocker, to be honest. And uh, when, I, when I saw Sterling and Aguero arguing over who should take it, when Gundogan's on the pitch, who else? I'm not sure who else might have taken Gabby it. Jesus. Gabby Jesus. Gabby Jesus. I'm thinking this is not going to end well. Sergio, who you would have trusted uh, a while ago, suddenly developed a, a phobia or whatever about penalties. And of course, the first one was almost uh, straight at Fabianski, hit very weakly, very close to him. He got a, a get out of jail free card and, and VAR gave us that as well because the ball was uh, well I think we would have we should have got um, a second chance on two grounds but the one it was given was that uh, the ball had been cleared by Declan Rice and he'd encroached into the penalty area before Aguero had kicked the ball now had Fabianski saved it and pushed it out for a corner had someone other than Rice got a foot to the ball that might not have uh, happened the, the, the retake might not happen but because it was Rice and because because he had encroached then um, obviously they could use VAR to work that one out and um, enabled us to take the kick again. Now, of course, um, the other side, the other reason why it should have been taken again was because Fabianski was off his line. So, obviously, he's supposed to have one foot on his line when the kick is taken, but he didn't. He was off his line. He had both feet off the line when the kick was taken. But VAR is not looking at that particularly, or VAR isn't looking at that at all. That's yeah, that's up to the referee. Paying attention to that, apparently. Yeah, so we had two grounds for that penalty to be retaken. Unfortunately, and I'm sat there thinking, if he misses the second time, uh, there's going to be trouble. Uh, but of course, he didn't miss. It was a uh, the sort of penalty we, we come to expect from him over the years. Firmly hit into the bottom corner. Uh, and Fabianski went the wrong way anyway, so he, but he would have had no chance. Yeah. I mean, I, sitting in, in the stands watching that, I mean, I felt Sergio Aguero's body position for the first penalty meant that it was more than likely to go in the, uh, uh, to the goalie's left, uh, just from looking at his body. Uh, and I just didn't think he could get, you know, he would even try to go the other way. It, that was just me, just looking at it. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a woeful, a woeful penalty. Uh, I mean, the goalie could have died the wrong way, got up and died the other way and saved that. It was so poor. And the second one, he changed his body positions uh, just a little bit so he could actually put wrap his foot around it if he needed him hit it in the other corner. So it, you know, the, the actual second penalty was great. But an interesting thing for me, Mike Riley, when Maras went down, Mike Riley was just about to turn around and wave it away. Mike, Mike wave, Dean, you mean? Sorry, Mike Dean, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you got Riley on my mind. Uh, Mike Dean, he was just going to uh, not give it. It, it just felt, yeah, in that fraction, in, in a, for a second, yeah. he was just about to turn away. Then he thought... I have to give this because VAR will give this. So well, I think it. I think he got a word in his ear saying that's I, a penalty, Mike. I I thought it was too quick for it to get a word in his ear. Uh, you know, you know. Uh, um 
if I was given a word in his ear, I wouldn't have said that. I'd have said something, uh, used some choice language because it was an obvious <laughs> penalty. Um, I, I, that's, I, that's just my opinion at the time was that he was he was going to run away and then he realised I'm going to be a fool. You know, and it, it's actually good because there are referees who might have um, get, not given something. They'll now give it because they know VAR will give it. So there's no, it'll take right, this. Yeah. People because thinking it, they're, they're cheating. It made sense. It made sense for him to give it because then it gives him a few seconds for VAR to renew to review it. Yeah. But if he doesn't give it, then the game goes on and uh, VAR reviews it and says the penalty. It looks a bit stupid, doesn't it? Yeah. So actually, he was right. Technically, he was from from a PR point of view, he's better off in the penalty because then the game stopped. But they can restart it if necessary. Well, guys, that was on the eighty second, uh, the eighty sixth minute. I beg your pardon. Four 0 to Man City. I was happy because I knew that meant that we'd be top of the league, and uh, we the game kind of petered out. We were told that there would be five minutes of added on time, and uh, yeah, but it was a bit strange. And then, of course, we had the piece de resistance, uh, the fifth goal, really putting a nice gloss on the scoreline. This is Sterling. And uh, Maris again, my goodness, he's so involved. Maris dropped deep, put a pass down the right to release a Sterling. Fabianski comes out, commits himself. Sterling sticks it nicely into the bottom right for a hat-trick. Raheem, top of the league and a hat-trick. Uh, wonderful little goal, that one, uh, wasn't it, Colin? Yeah, it was a lovely little goal. And I think the thing was, the thing that struck me about it, we, we won the ball. West Ham were actually in our half when we won that ball. And we were, it was 91 minutes and we were still pressing them. We were we were 4-0 up and we were swarming all around the play with the ball. And, and uh, Ilkay Gundogan went in quite heavily. I thought actually he was going to give away a free kick, but uh, Mike Dean waved play on. Uh, and, and Gundogan gave the ball to, to Maras, who uh, obviously played that um, played that ball through. And it, it was a wonderfully timed pass. And, and of course, um, Sterling could have squared to Aguero. Well, I think it's a great measure of his confidence, but yet well, on Saturday particularly and generally, that he took it on in his own. And guys, I think one thing that we haven't actually mentioned, or we, we've skipped in, in going through the key moments of the game, was Ray, a wonderful double save by Ederson. It was really, uh, what, really um, uh, amazing uh, reflexes. Uh, did, did you catch that one? Oh yeah, it was 2-0 at the time, so obviously it was a very uh, important moment in the game, and the uh, cross came from the right. Now I think the, I mean we were lucky in one respect that uh, can't, was it Lanzini or whoever it was, it hit his knee and went towards the goal, um, and it went basically straight at, at Edison, but he still had to make that quick reaction to push uh, the ball away, uh, and then a header came in, and he uh, the second save was, I think, a brilliant save, diving to his right, and, and clawing it when it was just, it looked like it was going to bounce and can go in and he clawed it and pushed it out um, so that I think that was a very very good especially the second save the first one was a bit reflexive but it was straight at him you know it's one of those you know that if David De Gea, De Gea had made it it'd have been a world class save even though it's hit straight at him and possibly if he didn't move him out it just hit him in the face uh, or in the uh, in the chest uh, but he poured it away and, and double save it was obviously necessary because West Ham score a goal there they're back in the game it was just after the VAR uh, decision where we, we had the goal chalked off they'd have been in some sort of ascendancy they've had would have had a lot of uh, obviously um a, a encouragement from the var and then the goal so it was just as essential as anything else in the game now uh, colin just on the subject of goalkeepers by that stage we knew uh well we knew before the game of course that uh, liverpool's allison had gotten an, uh, an injury and um i've been reading this morning over here it's the morning time in in korea that uh, that could put him out for eight weeks apparently it's a torn calf muscle uh, that he uh, sustained when he was trying to take a, a goal kick do you think that will have a, a big influence on on, on liverpool's performances hard to say really he may well do obviously you've got um, Adrian in there I don't think he's anywhere near as good a keeper as Alisson is and not as bad as Mignolet (laughs) but he's not as bad as Mignolet yeah uh, uh, or Karius Um, so I'm not I'm not sure Alisson is as vital to Liverpool as Aderson is to us uh, that that would be my view. So, in, in one sense, yeah, he's a better keeper than uh, Adrian, I suspect. But I, I don't think it will impact on them as much as it would as it might have done if he was a different sort of keeper. And, he, and he's had his little mistakes as well, hasn't he? It'll be interesting to see if the Liverpool faithful uh, let him walk alone as they did with Carrius uh, when he makes a, a mistake or two. But at the risk of getting these two guys worked up into a frenzy again, here's Peter Walton from BT Sport giving. 
his ver- verdict on VAR, it really is uh, something uh, to behold, this uh, quotation. He says, It's been a good day for VAR. It's been a good day for the Premier League. The software is top-end stuff. It's so accurate. It's unbelievable. It's all mathematically assumed. I think by the end of this, this season, fans and media will accept that a player is a millimetre offside with the technology that we've got. And the Guardian quotes, Good luck with getting everyone 100% onside with that one, Peter. But uh, yeah, Pep after the game. Uh, his comments were that it was heavy and hot. We had to improve, but that's normal. Three points is important. Incredible result. There's that word again. Incredible result. But we know we have to improve. It was a bit of a, a rusty, imperfect uh, performance, Ray. But nonetheless, top of the league. Can't really complain with that, can you? But you can't complain. I mean, top of the league, rusty performance. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, decent performance overall, Mike. Um, and top of the league. I mean, hopefully we're going to stay there uh, all season. It's only one game. <laughs> you can't look uh, too much into it. But like I said, uh, sure, winning your first game of the season, 5-0 away from home against, on paper, what was a decent team. I mean, West Ham finished top 10 last season. So um, I'm very, very happy. You know, looking forward to um, next weekend when I think we'll get a sterner test uh, with first coming to the Etihad. Absolutely, guys. And I suppose that we could talk about a few of these other results. Um, Colin Spurs, uh, 3-1 uh, winners. Kane looks a bit tasty uh, right at the beginning of the season. Um, it's said, it has been said before that he doesn't um, score in August. But, of course, he, he looked sharp, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, they left it late. Um, I only saw the highlight, but... Um it took two late goals to overcome Aston Villa, I think. And I think it was a bit of a shock to see them 1-0 up. But yeah, Spurs will be there. If you look at City and Liverpool as the top two, you can't see anyone other than Spurs coming third. So it will be an interesting game next Saturday, yeah. Yeah, Ray, uh, we don't want to dwell on this uh, too long, obviously, but Manchester United 4, Chelsea nil. Frankie Lampard's at the wheel. What did you think? Did you, did you catch the highlights? No, I've not seen that. I told you guys where I was today. I was at uh, Sandy Ball's uh, holiday park <laughs> today. We're doing some work there, and uh, down on the south coast in the New Forest. Um, so I missed I missed the game, and I've not had a chance, obviously, to watch match of the day yet to, to see the highlights or anything. But I was I watched a little bit, obviously, on uh, you know on on the text following the BBC, and Lampard looks in trouble already. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting uh, to see after you know the first ten games if they've been pumped five or six times uh, because this was a real drubbing. Uh, they might have played all right in the first. But this is a real drubbing. What are Chelsea going to do? I, I, some you know, people are already saying that Fat Frank is out to one game. But if he's done really badly, what will they do next? Will they look at John Terry after ten games? And say, John, come on, you have a go. Um, it's a really difficult time for Chelsea. And look, it's only one game, and he's, you've got to give him time to, to turn things around. But only one game. People are worried that Chelsea, you know, Chelsea fans that I've spoken to, are worried that they're going to be, you know, um, near the bottom of the table unless they, you know, fight in relegation. It, it feels like it could be that Mourinho season from a few years back where they were diabolical I mean they've lost their you can see the guy that was dragging them through games and that was a hazard um, Giorgino is by all accounts pants I don't know what where Canty was if you I'm sorry you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a qualified coach I'm just a qualified observer and if you're not playing can't, like uh, Sarri didn't play Canty in his proper position last season if you can't play Canty in his proper position what are you doing as a manager Colin Liverpool for Norwich one that had the Scouse faithful are out up in arms on Twitter and uh, claiming the title was coming to them. There was one of the videos by an ex-Anfield rap guy who was stirring up the the pub contingent who were following the game where he, he was and uh, champions of Europe and are going to be champions of this. It's it's their year again, of course. But yeah, a big setback for them in in the loss of uh, uh, Allison. But Norwich weren't really much of a an opposition for Liverpool in their first game. Well, I mean, if you were if you were looking for a good first game, you'd, you'd take someone like Norwich, wouldn't you? Who uh, Sheffield United or one of the well, Norwich, teams? No, Norwich. Interestingly, when I was doing my research for the um, preparation for the um, internet radio broadcast, Norwich, since the championship was actually the championship, and I can't remember what year it was, Norwich are the automatically promoted team with the worst goals against record. So they they, they conceded fifty seven goals last season, which is 
is the most any automatically promoted club has conceded in the history of the championship before it was um, first after since it's been the first division, of course. So um, defensively, they're very open. But that's the, they're a kind of team that Liverpool would have wanted for the yeah. first of the season because uh, and us, yeah, because they're gonna att- they are gonna leave themselves open. They are gonna try and attack, and that's gonna give Liverpool opportunities. And look, I mean, they were on to a loser once they scored that uh, that own goal after was it seven minutes, and you just thought this is gonna be a tough tough evening. Well, of course, you know the, the yeah. new season started like the old one ended with yeah. Liverpool's opposition gifting them goals. So yeah, but it, it was interesting. Norwich did have chances, and, and again, it's the thing with all the newly promoted teams is um, Norwich and, and Villa both scored a lot, both conceded a lot. But in this league, you won't get the chances to score as many because defenses are better and attacks are better. You know, you're coming up against the Sergio Aguero's and the uh, Mohamed Salahs of this world, not not the players in the Championship. So it's always going to be difficult for the, for teams like Norwich and Villa who well score a lot and concede a lot. They're going to concede more and they're going to score less. So. Uh, yeah, a, a team like Norwich going to Liverpool on the opening day of the season, you'd expect a high score. But Norwich did have the chances. And um, once Liverpool got to 4-0 up, they couldn't capitalise on that. Uh, Norwich did get a goal back. So um, it's it's about experience, isn't it? And, and um, in the Premier League, you get less time, you get less opportunity. Uh, and if Norwich perhaps had taken a couple of their early chances, it might have been a different game. But I, I always remember back in the old days, Norwich have always been a very attractive footballing team. But we typically put four or five past them. Let's uh, be having you. The six and seven. <laughs> Absolutely. And guys, on the last pod, of course, that went out before the, the transfer window uh, was slammed shut, as they say. But uh, Colin, oh, who do you feel had the best transfer window? Uh, I thought Everton and Spurs both had good windows. Obviously, Liverpool's was a very quiet one. We we got a player that we'd, we'd wanted for a while, if, if all the reports to believe. So you mean, that was you a mean good one. You, you're referring to Scotty Carson? Of course, Scott Carson, of course. I mean, we, we've been chasing Scotty for a while. And uh, it's a big coup for Chicky Bagheera's Dan to have got him in. Um, that, that that was a slightly, I mean, that was that alongside with David Luiz going from Chelsea to Arsenal. Uh, that, that that one was probably a little bit more high profile, but that, the the Carson one was definitely uh, one of the more left field transfers of, of this particular window, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I think it just allows it, it allows Daniel Grimshaw, who was the previous number three, to get out and get some games on loan. But uh, also, Ray was, was this isn't really connected with transfer window, but of course, Ilkay Gundogan has signed a new four year contract, and he. Uh, City announced it with a slight dig, I think, at uh, Arsenal. <laughs> Tell us about that one. Oh yeah, well you know the uh, the Arsenal issues with the, the captain Koscielny, who wanted out and was desperate to get out, and eventually he got out of Arsenal and went to uh, Girondé uh, Bordeaux. Is that if I'm right? Um, yeah, and. Um, so he did this uh, reveal where he's wearing an Arsenal shirt and then he takes it off and then he's wearing the Bordeaux shirt. So Gundogan did a similar reveal. So you had him, uh, you can see him from the back and he had his shirt, City, Gundogan, whatever the number was, I forget. And then he took that off and then it said Gundogan 2023. So obviously referring to how long his contract will last. And yeah, it was a, it was a, a cheeky dig. I mean, I mean, sh- most people should take it with the with a you know, pinch of salt or with the humour that it's there. And it's not, a real, you know, it's not really bad dig. It's just a bit of fun, and that's how I'd look at it. If some, if if the boot had been under the foot, and Arsenal had done that to us, I'd I'd, I'd like to think I'd have taken it with. Yeah, it's a bit of a banter. It's a bit of fun. It's nothing really serious. And uh, let's let's just carry on. Um, but you'll always get a few fans who will find a reason to be outraged, and maybe they should look at their own club because their own club are setting themselves up to have digs taken at uh, at them. Well, we're coming to the end of this particular pod, guys. I've just got the um, the bolt from the blue page up here the SoundCloud page we've got to 79 episodes without without major co- controversy of course um, but uh, there was one pod uh, Colin that got started seems to have got strangled after uh, one episode it was the City Sausage and there had been quite a lot of builds up to their arrival on the scene they'd done quite a few uh, sort of uh, pod promos didn't go down too well that first episode and I think that might, might, may be the end of those guys um, we'll have to wait and see Oh, what's your take, uh, Colin? 
Well, well, for those who don't understand, um, there's a, a comedian called Mike McLean and his second in command, wing, wingman, who do some of the uh, half-time stuff at the Etihad and also the pre-match entertainment in City Square. And and Mike's uh, an old-fashioned, uh, well, I'd say old-fashioned, a, a comedian perhaps from a bit more from the old school. As we all know, times move on. And, and, and this podcast, uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard it, but apparently they were... What, what, what might have passed for mainstream comedy in the 1970s, uh, mocking foreign accents and all sorts of stuff like that, didn't go down very well in uh, 2019. And of course, uh, one of the they were talking about the tour to China, and they were mocking the Chinese accent and one or two things there. And of course, City are. Oh, for, well, the city uh, city football group is fourteen percent owned by Chinese investors, so that that's uh, obviously a little bit embarrassing. There were some vocal complaints about this particular podcast, and uh, as a result, City terminated the uh, match day contracts of Mike McLean and Wingman over this. So um, yeah, and, and it, 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 it's interesting. It's generated a lot of um, comment, obviously, on social media from the oh, you can't say anything these days, brigade or to um well you know making fun of foreigners is um is one step to you know particularly in this politically charged world we've got where where there's you know uh, extreme right-wing racism and uh, the rise of nationalism you really can't afford these days to be mocking foreigners as it were and um you know we're all one big world these days so it's it's not seen as done now uh, whereas some people just think it's a storm in a teacup and it's a big overreaction and whatever so it's um it's an interesting one yeah ray um, i i think particularly with that um Genua, uh i think it was the 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 chinese uh state uh controlled press giving city a lot of criticism for the way that they conducted their trip of china which pep of course reacted to uh the club i suppose were left with uh, no option that and the and the uh, 13 or 14 percent chinese investment in the city football group there, there was an inevitability to this wasn't it yeah i mean as colin has said you know when when you've got an owner or part owned by uh, Chinese investors, uh, like you said, uh, you've got the, you know, the complaints from the Chinese state uh, TV and media, and City trying to City on this charm offensive. City, you know, we've we've got a club in China as well under the CFB, CFG banner, uh, and then to go mock and make fun. And yes, people can say it's only mild and it's not that serious, but we don't do it anymore. It's not something we do. And then, you know, you got, you got some people say, well, we make fun of Geordies and their accents, and but we don't make fun of foreigners. We, we can laugh at our own, so to speak, but we don't make fun of foreigners anymore, especially when they own part of the club. What would what would the, the next target be? The, the Arab owners, um, you know, it, it had this um, in, inevitability. And, and to be honest, it, people are hard. Let's, let's say they split. I don't know if it's split down the middle, but these people say they weren't funny anyway or they overstepped the, 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 the bounds of decency sometimes. I, I, I'll say this. Uh, it's my opinion. Sometimes at pre-match, I thought, did they really say that? How can they get away with that? And I and I sometimes thought, surely someone will, you know, uh, be vetting this. And, and it, you can't do this. It's a family audience. And I, I just thought they went too far with the innuendo, with this, you know, with the city sausage. I mean, that was that was seventies humour. It was seventies humour. And you know, take a bite of my sausage. Well, come on, guys. You know, you you, you got a family audience, and you, you sometimes talking to people and asking them to take a bite of your sausage who don't know the the, the innuendo behind it, and because they're offering them this uh, this sausage. To, to have a bite of so you, sometimes you know things have changed I love I, I, and I'll say this myself I loved mind your language as a, as a child I loved that even mm. my kids watch that and laugh okay and but you can't do it anymore that, that's the way that's the world we live in and whether you like it or not sometimes you just got to accept it and move on and they didn't accept it and they've and they've been moved on and the interesting, just to say one last thing, the interesting thing is, of course, there's a few City fans on social media complaining about the likes of Miguel Delaney and Nick McGeehan and, and that sort of crowd being implicitly racist because of the uh, reference to Arab owners. And, and so I think we've got, we, we do have to be very careful, City have to be very careful about how they handled this. And I think they took decisive action. And whether you agree with it or not, I think um, they probably took the right action under the circumstances. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, guys, I think that. 
yeah, yeah. That that story was is is probably going to run and run a little bit more. And we, we're kind of out of time, guys. So we really need to finish. I'm just going to finish off with. Uh, well, we couldn't. Oh, <laughs> I think it, I think it was um, uh, Ray who said that uh, we never do a podcast these days without talking about Leroy Sané. But there is a justification for for uh, putting uh, a little bit in about Leroy just at the end here because in the last pod we didn't know the severity of his um, injury. Now apparently he has damaged the uh, the anterior cruciate ligament and uh, that could mean you know six or eight months out. It might not see Leroy again to February or March according to Pep but um, was that the thing that ended Bayern's interest or has Bayern's interest been ended? What do you think Colin? Well, it's been ended uh, for the moment and probably for the next window, hasn't it? Um, there was all this fuss about him being played anyway, uh, or Bayern were making a fuss, allegedly making a fuss about him being played because of their interest in him, but they weren't. City, as far as I'm aware, weren't close to any agreement to sell him, so why shouldn't they uh, play him? It might have been a different matter if we'd been very close to an agreement. So, so uh, and it, you know, it could have happened. It's one of those things that perhaps could have happened anyway. It was a, you know, I don't think it was a particularly malicious tackle, but it was a foul, and um, so, so, so Bayern's interest in him is ended now until next summer I imagine but uh, which is kind of in one way it's a dangerous thing because there'll only be one he'll be entering the final year of his contract which means that they can uh, come to an arrangement with him but um, yeah, w- w- one would hope that particularly when you look at the Okai Gundogan situation the, the, the faith we showed in him and, and the support we gave him while he was out injured he said in an interview that it played some part in his deciding to stay. So we can only hope that the support we're showing Leroy, and I'm sure all his teammates have been doing that, will uh, make him perhaps think again and reflect on where his career is going and, and where it's best suited. Uh, and Ray, yes, um, Colin referred to that, and that was that was kind of interesting. There was a, a, a systematic and uh, concerted effort by all of the City players to wish uh, Leroy well. I mean, you couldn't get three or four tweets down your timeline before you saw another player, whether it be Phil, Phil Foden or or, or uh, Ben Mendy, they're all wishing him goodwill. How do City play this now, Ray? Or how would you play it? I mean, do we offer him uh, a contract uh, imagining that um, he would be very, very well advised to sign a, a, a new contract? Um, if he sits out the remaining two years um, on, his, on the current deal, apparently he would be losing a fortune. Um, um, how, how do you see this going? I don't know. That's that's the, uh, the truth. I'm just going to throw the, the the things that I'm thinking about. Bayern Munich whinging via the press in Germany and saying we had an agreement. Uh, apparently, they said they had an agreement for 110 million euros, uh, which I think was just made up. It's just to satisfy their fans to say they really pushed and they really pushed. It was about to happen. If Bayern Munich had paid the 150 million euros that City had demanded for Leroy, he would have been their player by now he would, and he wouldn't have got even near the community shield uh, and, uh, and that injury he would have been their player so if they should have put up the money in the first place that's my first point yes it's dangerous now we're in a dangerous territory will by minute will come back next summer i'm sure of it uh with a, a probably a derisory offer if leroy has signed a new contract and also they can say to him look in the same way that lewandowski Goretz, and, and others uh wound down their contracts at their respective clubs in germany um and stayed at their clubs for an extra year the final two months of the contracts and by minute got them on the free they can say the same to leroy now yes leroy could be potentially missing out on somewhere in the region of one hundred and forty thousand pounds on this new contract with City. Now, that's a heck of a lot of money. That's about that's about seven, let's call it seven and a quarter. So it's basically about 14 and a half, 15 million or whatever it's going to be. But if he winds his contract down and goes to Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, I can guarantee will pay him at least 50 million pounds as a signing on fee. At least. Because they, right now, if they want to buy Leroy Sane, they'll have to pay at least 100, 120 million euros. In two years' time, if they pay him fifty million, they're saving a heck of a lot of money. That's why they can offer the offer him a lot of money to come. So the money thing is still going to be in the forefront of Leroy's mind because if Bayern Munich wants him in two years' time, he's in all intents and purposes he's not going to play uh, much at all, if at all, this season. So he's now looking at the last one month of his contract. It may be that Bayern Munich go out and buy Gareth Bale or someone a really top uh, winger, um, uh, maybe a younger one, say 25, 26 years old, which will make Leroy think, "What am I?" 
chances, even though they might, they'll, they're saying they'll still want me next summer. But they've just gone out and bought XYZ player, who's a really decent uh, winger. Are they just, you know, um, pulling me a leg here? Can I trust him? And it might be that he'll turn around and say, well, City's that contract still available. I'll sign it. We, we just don't know. It's lots of imponderables. We don't know what's going on inside his head. You know, a month ago, he was close to signing his contract, the new contract with City. And now, and, and you know, by, by the start of the, uh, the season, he was, he was far away. So what's changed? What's happened? You know, obviously his head has been turned by Bayern Munich, but to how, how much? Maybe he'll come back and say, where's that contract? Let me sign. Well, guys, um, I think that we'll have to bring the pod to an end at this point. I'm just going to finish it with a nice little line up on my timeline here by Sam Lee. And he says, that Pellegrini quote, and I I assume he's talking about the tactical fouling, is all well and good, apart from the fact that he didn't say it. So, guys, be careful what you read (laughs) on Twitter uh, and on your social media accounts. uh, uh, Research it uh, well uh, before you believe it. But it's it's an aspect of uh, of the game, as Ray said. And, uh, you know, I suppose we shouldn't really be surprised uh, uh, about it. I mean, I get tactically fouled by by Colin and Ray almost every podcast. Odd, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not complaining about it, but we have to thank these two guys and finish off here. We'll be back with you after the next game. Let's say cheerio for now to Ray. Ray, have a great week and thank you for being on the pod. Oh, thank you very much, Mike. It's uh, it's just gone midnight in uh, UK time and uh, I'm eagerly waiting for my uh, message from uh, City Square uh, and maybe maybe against Spurs you'll see me pre-match joking and japes with yeah, Ray. Yeah, you, uh, you and Ian Cheeseman and Natalie Pike maybe. Pavlik, no, I think that, is her new name. <laughs> that's, that, that'll probably be the, the three stooges rather than uh, anything better than that. <laughs> and we'll also say cheerio to our very own scholarly City writer for King of the Kipax at uh, Colin Savage. Colin, you have a great week and thank you very much for coming on the Bolt thank from the you. Blue podcast. Uh, uh, uh. And the same to all our listeners, of course. Hope they have a good week. Absolutely, guys. Well, we're top of the league. Can't complain. Looking down at Liverpool below us. That's how I want my weeks to end. So we'll leave it there and finish off in the normal way by saying, have one on us and up the blues. It's not Burnley. It's not Burnley.